Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, people, I, I got to the studio today, and I've noticed this problem and not only at the studio, but also around my house. Because, you know, when Joanne moved out here, I gave her my parking spot, being a gentleman. And on Mondays, you can't park on one side of the street uh, for street cleaning. And Tuesdays, it's the same thing. But I've noticed that so many people, and it's even like this outside the studio, they don't know how to park, and they're just selfish. I mean, I always grew up, growing up back east, you know, you parked on the street in front of your parents' house. But here, it's unbelievable because you sit there and where it's red, okay, that's where you can't park. They always leave like three feet and it's not enough for a car to fit and they script the whole block. And then what they do also is they'll sit there and when there's two cars, two cars parked, which is enough space in between them for like two more cars, they'll park right in the middle. So it just, it really irked me today because and I, I, I got a run in with a lady a few weeks ago in front of my apartment because she did that and she's with her kids and I said, excuse me, I said, you know, you should be more courteous. And she started yelling at me and her kids were like, have a nice day. And I'm like, no, you guys have a nice life because your mom's a, a jerk. <laughs> Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a, we have a, a phenomenal actor and a, and a, a contortion. I, I read this guy's bio, and it's amazing. We have Doug Jones. How you doing, Doug? <laughs> I'm doing great, and I'm worried. I'm worried for the show now because you said it's only as hip as your guests. So uh, we we have a lot of hipping up to do. You're six okay. three. You have a full head of hair. Yeah. You're hip. Believe me. <laughs> I mean, people don't know. I was saying when I, he's he's uh, you're over six. How tall are you? You're six three and a quarter. Six three and a half. Yeah. Okay. Now, were you were you a tall kid? Like, did you grow? The tallest. I, I, Every every class picture, I'm the dead center back row. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know now, that guy. Now, when you were growing up, did you have a sudden growth spurt, or was it just like like us us little people who are five ten? Yeah. You went from like five two to five four. I was five, all, six, no the tallest in my class every year since I was born. I was the biggest, tallest, big, but the skinniest by the way. I only weigh 140 pounds. So you I'm only, not, that's it because I weigh 165. But yeah, you look thicker. Well, I'm not well, thicker, but you look thin. But six three. You're very kind. Yeah, thank you. It must be those broad shoulders yeah. of mine. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you always thin? Did you always? I was a skinny, skinny, skinny kid. And people meet me now, and they're like, "Oh, well," because if if someone knows me as the Silver Surfer, for instance, right. or Abe Sapien from the Hellboy movies, um, both those costumes were you know built up and muscle was added into the costume. And they meet me at a convention or something. They're like, "Oh, oh, hey, uh, are are you okay? Yeah. Are you feeling well?" It's, it's funny you say that because I've been I was in the hospital for years ago with a problem, and I, yeah. I had I have a heart problem, and I lost twenty five. Lost weight, right, exactly. And when you get out, people automatically think, one, you have AIDS, or two, because <laughs> oh. you're in the entertainment business, it's cocaine or meth. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it, it, it can't be a health issue. Exactly. No yeah. one thinks that. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because they always say that to you. Like, if you said to someone who is heavy, if you said, oh, my God, did you put a weight on, you'd be offending them. You'd be offending them. But when you lose weight, I'm like, oh, my no. God, are you are you sick? Right. On a skinny guy, it's open season for I, comments. It is. It's crazy. Eat a sandwich. If I, That is so not funny anymore. <laughs> I, you know, did you, I mean, because I know when I was th- skinny when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and my brother was skinny, and he always get like the weed, Joe Weeder's uh, protein. Did you? I, I, Did you take yeah, them? Oh my gosh, yes. I've, well, I've tried everything. And, you know, and if you're if you're built for skinny, it's okay to let nature take its course and just be a skinny guy. Be the best skinny you can be. And look at me. Am I not the best you skinny? Are. I know, I know. I'm just thinking as we talk about this, when when you're on a movie set, if there's wardrobe, you must drop because you're probably a 32, 38. Mm, okay, uh, well, ish. I'm a, a 29 waist. Oh my god. 36 inseam. That's not off the rack. I, you no. know, you can <laughs> right? <laughs> Nope. So, so you're from Indianapolis, I believe. Indianapolis, Indiana is where I grew okay. up. Now, when you were a kid, besides being tall, yeah. <laughs> did you 
want to get into the entertainment? As a young kid, did you say, I want to do this? Or what made you come into this career right. and get into contortion, which that just amazes me because I've never met a contortionist. And uh, how, did, how did you follow this whole path? Yeah, no, I... Well, being an Indiana kid in the Midwest, if you're not, if you don't fit in that that small sliver of normal, you are you are made fun of relentlessly. And uh, so I was I was teased as a tall, skinny, goofy kid, of course. Um, and uh, to combat that, I uh, I became a class clown, right? So I was like, if they're gonna laugh, it's gonna be because I said so, and when I said so, by doing you know an armpit fart or something funny, right? Uh, so between that and then going home and escaping into sitcoms and variety shows. Uh, which, which were some of your, uh, what oh, were you gosh. watching? Well, uh, well, it, it was the characters specifically, like the, the goofy ones, the, the, the character actors that, that, I, that I glommed onto and like really got inspiration from. That would be Gomer Pyle and, and uh, Gilligan and uh, Barney Fife. Uh, anything on the Lucy show, um, uh, Carol Burnett. And I was going to say, were you a Conway fan? Because I mean, no, huge Tim Conway. Because he fan. was so amazing. I still remember yeah. as a kid. And actually, I had one of the writers, Gene Perret, who wrote for the Carol Burnett show for a little bit. Uh-huh. And he said when him and Harvey Corman would do those sketches, <sighs> Con- Conway would go off script. Just to, his goal was what? to make Conway laugh, and he knew. They were great writers, but he knew whatever the writers could write. Yeah, him making Tim and I remember as a kid watching them laugh and. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh yeah. my, and it made you laugh so hard. Uh, that was the funniest thing is watching Harvey Corman try to hold his composure while Tim was, was messing with him. It was hilarious. Yeah, so that that's what I escaped into as a kid was watching. And there were t- variety shows aplenty back then. Sonny and Cher, Donnie and Marie, everybody had a show. And uh, and so that was kind of like, a, I thought, okay, now if, if goofy people can be funny and if and if people can can uh, wrap up all their problems in a half hour and hug at the end of the show uh, that's a that's a life i want to live so uh, i was drawn to the showbiz from that that age on so what do you do as you're in i mean do you sit there in junior high do you say i'm going to start performing or how do you get it because i know like in my school you know we were in, we had a band and most kids joined the band in sixth grade and if you stunk by the time you do it in seventh grade <laughs> you'd, you'd start doing sports or whatever right did you? When did you start actually getting into the theater of your school, and did they have a good department? Right, it would have been the, the junior high. No, and no, no good department. No, okay. this, now this is back in the seventies, so <laughs> uh, early seventies, and so I, I, you know, junior high. It was it, I, I was I offered up myself up to do any skit I could do. You know, they're they're having a, the Christmas program. Oh, can I do a skit? You know, I would always offer and, and try to put something together, and then I got into high school. We had a theater department, but it was it was uh, they did one fall play every year, a big variety show, a, a musical in the in the spring. That was about it. So I was involved in whatever I could get on stage and uh, pep rallies. Again, I would I would want to do a pep skit at okay. the pep rally. So I, I kind of got to be known as the guy who goes on stage at the, at my high school. And then uh, going into college, um, my parents were you know very wise Midwestern folk that uh, you, you don't let your children major in theater because no one gets a job in that, honey. Right. Uh, so, so I uh, I majored in radio and TV broadcasting. Uh, that's why this microphone feels so familiar. I know it's uh, your naturals, you know. <laughs> and and uh, and I minored in theater. Uh, so so that was at Ball State University in Indiana. Now Ball State was that Letterman. David Letterman went there. Right? I know. I know a few younger uh, people out here, younger than us, that yeah. went to Ball State. A kid yeah. named James Robert and a girl named Amy Horton. You know James Roberts. James uh, Roberts. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. He, he works at Granville Cafe. Granville Cafe. I used to be their marketing corporate marketing oh, manager, okay, and I, okay. I met James. And I just, in fact, me and my girlfriend were just going to brunch on Sunday. Uh-huh. We were walking down San Fernando because we live in Burbank, and we walked past James. I call him Jimmy Sticks. I've known him for years. Okay, yeah, see, yeah, that's yeah. so funny. It's yeah, a yeah. small world. <laughs> um, so okay, so now when you're in college, how do you become the mascot? 
Right. Because uh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I think yeah. that's great. I was Charlie Cardinal for two years at Ball State, and um, it was because I went to a, a football game, a basketball game, and I was looking at the guy in the bird suit thinking, hmm, I bet there's more that can be done with that. You know, as a typical actor would do, it's like, I can do better. Right. You know? <laughs> we all think that. So I went to the auditions. I, um, uh, I, I went to the, the tryouts, I guess we should call them. It, it is college after all. Um, and uh, uh, for my sophomore year, I, okay, at the end of my freshman year is when I went to try out for, to be the mascot sophomore year, and I got rejected. They did not take my ass. Okay, so <laughs> what, what did you do in your audition? Did you like have to do a dance, or did you have to no, do something? Or? No, get at this. They just, wanted, they just interviewed you. We came in, sat down with, with a, a, a panel of cheerleaders right, that were coming back the next year, and they sat there with their arms folded, you know, just kind of like asking you questions. Nothing physical. I thought, well, this is a weird try out for a mascot which is all physicality to just like you know so what you what's your spirit your school spirit like and what do you think that cardinals represent like oh, okay well, ah so okay anyway, so I, I i failed uh and then uh, the next year i thought i'm gonna come back i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna be a mascot. studying you're like I'm yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> so for my my uh junior year uh, uh the audition for that or, or the tryout for that i had the entire room belly laughing i don't know what i was doing even but i was i was upbeat i was goofy i was flapping my arms around as i talked and they, they i was a shoo-in now i don't want to boast or anything uh steve but but uh to this day i've been told by the alumni association of all state that i'm the best charlie cardinal they ever had well I, okay that could make sense now, oh, okay but how'd they get the costume did you did it have a big head it, it, was, it was it was the kind of costume one size does really fit all because okay. it's just ginormous yeah a big bird belly and you know a big floppy suit with wings that you know, um, and then you had to wear yellow tights and then yellow, big, floppy feet that looked like sort of like, you know, swim, swimming fins uh, or flippers. And, uh, and then this big head that just sat on your shoulders. So it didn't really articulate much. It was just a big glued on face. It was like, <laughs> you know, and so you had to kind of really make make it come to life with all the physicality. So I played around in that suit a lot and uh, and learned, learned his ecosystem so that I could... Uh, I had no idea what early training for my career that would be. Well, it's so funny, but it, it, it's performing. Now, when you were doing this, were you a minor in theater? Were you doing theater productions at Ball State, too? Well, um, yes, and uh, not as many on stage. Like, I'm on stage as a person now. Um, it was more, um, I got I got sucked into the mime troupe on campus, and that that's kind of, again, early training and early early groundwork for the career that I ended up having. Were you a Shields, Shields and Yarnell fan? Big Shields and Yarnell fan, exactly. Uh, in the Young box. people don't even know who that is. People, right. They used to have a TV. They used to be on everything. It was, I yeah. remember that from as a kid, Shields and Yarnell watching them. Right, I watched their, they had a variety show, exactly. And a couple of mimes having a variety show was quite a, quite a, a, a risk for the network to take, wasn't it? But uh, it was a very popular show. And um, so this mime troupe was called Mime Over Matter. <laughs> I got the pun. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's good, yeah, yeah. especially for college, you know, like <laughs> professionally. Like, uh, but no, it makes sense. People <laughs> sure. don't, know, don't know, expect when they see a mime. Like everyone, you know, people aren't educated on the mime. No. no, no one really knows what's. They, exactly. always, they always say, "Oh, box, get in the box." And that's all they say. <laughs> and stop bothering me in the park when I'm trying exactly. to walk with my kid. Yeah. Uh, so there, yeah, there's more. You can do a stage performance and tell stories and do do sketches and and. Uh, so I I went. Uh, Reed K. Steele was the the head of the mime troupe. It was a student run organization, and uh, he lived in my dorm. And he saw he saw this this goofy tall skinny uh, freshman. At Ball State, and every time I would talk in the lunchroom, I'd have my hands flipping around. I was a completely animated fella. So at, one, at some point, uh, Reed came up to me and said, "Hey, uh, I'm Reed Steele, and I run the mime troupe here on campus. And have you ever heard of mime?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah pantomime, whiteface. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, come see one of our shows." 
So I went and saw one of their shows, and uh, they they were performing at like a local high school or something. And I went and saw, it. and I so for an hour and a half, I sat there mesmerized by storytelling with no verbal dialogue. You know, um, I laughed, I cried, I I saw things that weren't there as they created props and other people and animals that weren't on stage. It would just become from, uh, you know, miming and walking in place, walking against the wind, doing butting up against a wall and like I was like wow I can't believe these people's bodies can do that so I was immediately hooked and I I so then I, I auditioned for the mime troupe and I got in and I by the by my senior year I was the guy approaching people going hey have you heard of mime well, you want to be in our troupe now were you being a mascot at the same time you do a mime I was, I was See, that's pretty cool simultaneously in fact uh, one of my favorite uh, magazine covers I've ever been on was at the Ball State uh, verbatim verbatim magazine at Ball State I probably don't even have that anymore um, the cover uh, was a picture of me in my white face my mime white face holding my mascot head with his beak in my ear and I'm going, oh! <laughs> so, that's cool. That's cool. Kind of fun. They combined my two worlds. Now, when did the contortionism come in? Mm. From the miming, or have you done that before or done no, that after? No. Well, you know, you know, when, you, when you see the word contortionist on somebody's resume, which it is in my special skills set, um, it sounds like, oh, he must have an act. And, uh, I never traveled with the circus. I never had a, a contortionist routine. Right. I, I'm, a, I'm more of a party trick guy. I can lean forward, and I can get my legs behind my head. That's it. I'm a one-trick pony, and I, I, I before my shoulders went out, <laughs> I could put my elbow like on the wrong side of my head too. Now, how did you learn you could do that? Like, it's like I always wanted. Like, my brother can wiggle his ears. I can't. Right, I always yeah. wonder how can because we all, if we can't do it, we try to wiggle our ears, and your your face just moves. Yeah. But him, it's yeah. like you don't sit there and wake up and say, I don't know how you can do it. But yeah. how did you figure this out? I mean, because you because you're tall, you thought you were very flexible, or well, you know, well no, you, you sit and you watch TV in a very comfortable position to you, and your three older brothers look at you and say. Doesn't that hurt? Okay. You look weird. <laughs> and then so you say, oh, that looks weird to you? Well, let's try this then. Waka waka. And they're like, oh, God, put it, put it away. Ugh. So yeah, that's, uh, I, I just discovered it by, by other people's reactions to my physicality. And they go, oh. So I pushed the limits. But the first time I figured out I could put both legs behind my head was after I moved out to L.A. Uh, I moved out here in 1985. So in 86-ish, I'm you know, auditioning for a commercial. And uh, a Midas muffler commercial. Okay. And, uh, and uh, they needed a contortionist. So my agent, of course, uh, had my first commercial agent took me on because I had the mime and the contorting on my resume. And that special skills are really come in handy for a commercial actor. Uh, and those skills came in, <clears throat> you know, the casting calls I would go in on, I had no idea how many would, would I would get because of the the physicality, the miming, the and the contorting bit. Uh, there's always a sight gag they want to work into something. So, <clears throat> so... Um, they, uh, this commercial audition went out for Midas Mufflers and they needed, uh, so the setup was you're at a health club and Ol o Oli, the big Swedish uh, m masseur is working on this skinny guy, right? He's like, and he, and he, he's not paying attention to what he's doing to him. And he's talking about the bad muffler experience that he had at another shop. Okay. Right. So he's like, yeah, they, this is not right what they're doing to my car. And so in the meanwhile, the, the poor client is on the table going, ugh, ah, ugh, and getting bent up. That was the joke. So, um, so I ended up um, uh, get making getting to a callback for this. And at the callback, the director was in the room and he said, okay, uh, uh, you know, Sven here is going to do, he'll be, uh, he'll put one leg behind your head. And then he's going to take the other leg and put it back there with the other. So you have end up with both legs behind your head. And I'd never done that before. Okay. Right. So I had only done one leg at a time. And so as every good actor should do, I said, sure, I can do that. <laughs> not having a clue exactly. if I could or not. So, uh, yeah. So by the end of the audition, it's like both legs went back there. And I was like, oh, it worked. 
and the camera was rolling, caught it all. I got, I booked the job, and uh, and that's when I learned I could do that little party trick. See, that's that's interesting. It's so funny because yeah, I mean, and you wouldn't. As I said, everyone's like, oh, I could do that. Like I had a guest on who said, oh, I know how to ride a horse, and then they got on the their center. Exactly. I have no idea, and they like, I didn't think I'd get the uh, the call back. And like, I have no idea how to ride a horse, and then they yeah. practice for like one day, and it, and it's not easy. They said, luckily, it was a short scene. Right. So, so you said you moved out here in '86. Now you got out of college. What year? Uh, 82. Okay, so now what did you do for those four years beside you decide, before you decided to move out here? Right, right. Um, well, I graduated 82. My first summer, uh, it was first like over half a year um, out, out of college, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I um, worked at Kings Island, the uh, theme park there. It's like okay. a, it's sort of like a Magic Mountain or a Six Flags. Because we, we, we had Great Adventure in New Jersey. <clears throat> there you go. There you go. Yeah, so roller coasters and attractions and all that. Well, they had an, uh, Kings Island has an Eiffel Tower. As a as a main centerpiece, uh, it's about a third the size of the one in Paris, but it's it, the same dimensions. And uh, around that is a big fountain area, and they call that International Street. Why wouldn't they have a mime there? Okay. So yeah, so my first summer out of college, I was hired as the mime to walk around International Street at Kings Island. But you know, getting paid to do an artistic thing was just like, oh, my mind was blown. I'm a I'm a pre- professional performer. Yeah, yeah, I was getting you know two hundred dollars a week, but uh, but I was I was in heaven, um, and I was also in hell at the same time because. Uh, I didn't realize um, how many people in Cincinnati, Ohio, come from Kentucky to go to that. Uh, and so you've got <laughs> you've got these. Pe- now I love my uh, part of my family roots come from Kentucky, so I, I know of what I speak. <laughs> and so there, you know, you, uh, people who don't understand what a mime is, and you've got these you know parents with kids going, "Oh, hi, honey, look at the clown! Hey, clown, do something for my kid!" Right. Like, oh, okay. Well, first of all, I'm not a clown. I'm a mime. And I don't talk. <laughs> and I don't, I don't talk. Right. Do that. So I have big feet. <laughs> I'm tall, but I don't have big feet. My nose doesn't squeak. How about that? Right, so, yeah. Uh, so I ended up, and, and the children that didn't understand why this guy with white face on him is coming close to them, I, I made kids cry all day for three months. <laughs> and it was just like really d- demeaning to my soul. So uh, uh, so that, that was a, an early thing. Uh, then after that, I got a job at, um, I was looking for career positions, and as any good Midwesterner is supposed to do. I was trained to, you know, you get a job, you wear a tie, you carry a briefcase, and you make a salary. Dag nabbit. So um, I looked for those kind of jobs. I ended up getting a job as a, an advertising salesperson for um, a newspaper in a small town in northern Indiana, North Manchester. And it was the North Manchester News Journal, all eight pages of it. That's funny. Yeah, it came out twice a week. And I would make the rounds in the town and, and neighboring towns to, you know, just to sell ad, ad placement in our paper. And then I would also, you know, compose them. So there's only so much gr- job growth you can have when you're at a paper, uh, a newspaper that size. Right. I was already at the top of the of the de- advertising department making, you know, $12,000 a year. So I, uh, I got, well, and now how do I get out of here? Ah! So, uh, so got married in the meantime, M- Mrs. Laurie, um, uh, joined we met in college and so we were engaged that whole time and finally got married and then she joined me in North Manchester and we're on the phone with her uncle David one day her uncle David was a bank manager out in California for Security Pacific Bank do you remember that bank at all no but it's so funny I was just in a San Diego two weekends ago, and, mm-hmm. and me and my ex-wife lived in a gas lamp, and it's changed so much. Mm-hmm. I remember because I now my bank is Citibank, mm-hmm. but I remember back then in San Diego it was Glendale National, which I guess started actually in Glendale, California. There you I go. Guess. And then it was like 
what is that? It was that one with the Elvis Schmeckenbacker guy or whatever. It went from that to like CalFed to this, and it's just weird. Like banks, banks can, change. They, so they much. all buy each other out. Yeah. So now there's these just huge conglomerates. So B of A ended up absorbing uh, uh, Security Pacific Bank. But I, uh, <clears throat> but Uncle David worked for Security Pacific up in Fresno. We're on the phone with him, and he says, "So how are you kids doing out there in Indiana?" And um, and I said, "Well, Uncle David, you know, my, I'm I'm thinking about how much." future this job I'm in has at the newspaper. And he said, well, you know, we have a management training program out here. If you want to send me a resume, I can give it to our HR department and, you know, see what happens. And uh, so I did. I sent him and he did. And they called me up for an interview and I flew at my own expense out to Los Angeles. But I told him I would rather have Southern California, not not Fresno. Yeah, I know. It's, there's a <laughs> big difference. Big, big difference. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, that would, if I could get a job in Los Angeles, uh, then that maybe that would put me in the right geographical location to then roll out into the showbiz. Because you, you, you still wanted to do the showbiz. The, the dream of show business had never left my heart. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, so, so I ended up getting, I, I interviewed well. Um, so I ended up getting the job at, as a management trainee with Security Pacific Bank in 1985. So moved out here in March of 85. In LA. In LA. Where did you first move? I always wonder where people first moved. First especially when they've never visited. Well, where, you know, Exactly. Well, Mrs. Laurie and I were looking for cheap. That's I, it basically, you know, we're young kids starting out, and it was like, well, and the prices here were, you know, exponentially more than right. in Indiana. So, um, so we uh, we moved to the Valley, yeah, San Fernando Valley, in an area called that's now called North Hills, but back then it was yeah. called Sepulveda. All right. And we were, we did not realize this, but we lived one block from. I'm using air quotes. Crack Corner. Okay. Uh, it was on the news. We were watching the news one night. It's like, hey, that's our neighbor. That's a block from here. Oh, geez. That's like did yeah, yesterday in that big standoff in North Hollywood. Yes. Well, the lady, I guess, was watching on TV, and she's like, oh, my God, this guy's in my house. In my house. And you sit there, you go, could you imagine that? Like, no. You go to work, and you're sitting there, and everyone's saying this commotion, and you probably think, okay, it's not, you know, it's whatever, 16, heart soak or whatever. Right. You're probably not sitting there going, oh, yeah, it's probably. But then you put on the news, and you see some guy on the top of your house with a gun. Good. Gun. That must huh. be scary. No, can you imagine? I know. Yeah. So, uh, so crack corner. Uh, we we had we had prostitution on one side of our building and drug dealers on the other, but it was cheap. Right. So yeah. <laughs> so we lived there for four years, and finally, uh, in that time, I my commercial career stuff. Well, here's what happened from the bank. Uh, um, I interviewed well to get the job, but I did not do the job well apparently because after eight months they fired me, and they sh- they, they Steve they should have. Okay. They should have. If I were their, uh, the boss, I would have fired me. And um, so I, I didn't I put up a, a fight or anything. I was like, yes, I suck. You are correct. And, so uh, you got fired. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you, now you're going to pursue the acting career. So it was a good open door. Exactly. Was it hard for you to find an agent because of your height? Or did they say, okay, we want someone because it's like, like for me, I got an agent very quickly because I'm bald with glasses. I mean, that that's everyone. It's like, you, know, you, 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 you probably know a lot of the commercial yeah. guys that, you know, if mm-hmm. you see, you know, a, uh, a, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, Brian Pasenek or uh, Bob Clendendon or Brian Husky. They all that sort of that commercial look. And yes. they're very, they can be goofy. Or right. like Bob plays the creepy guy, but they have that thing. For you, yeah. for 6'4", and you have an all-American look pretty much. Like in, yeah. in your IMDb picture, you look like you should be on Boardwalk Empire. Because you look like that, the old school, you know, the, the, the not, not a mine, but yeah. one of the old school entertainers. Yeah, Was it, were, were agents very like, okay, we want a really tall guy, or I mean, and plus you're thin. How did how did was right. it hard for you to get an agent, or did they snap you up like that? I'm a very specific type. Yes, right. you are correct. Uh, uh, the, my agent story was the probably the easiest I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard anybody get an agent this easily. Um, 
I took a uh, now okay well, the bank fired me and I'm like okay now what I'm collecting unemployment checks Mrs. Lori is working at a as a receptionist at an advertising agency so we're scraping by and I uh, I looked through Drama Log magazine which was now now backstage West that was the only we didn't have the Webernet back then I know, you know I we just had that one newspaper once a week and like you would comb through it and get all the casting notices and classes yeah. and photographers and, 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 if, and if you wanted to get like a list of agents you had to go to Samuel French Samuel French yeah, that was <laughs> the, you had to go there because you couldn't yeah. no one else had it like no one. There, there was I think there was like a newsstand in Hollywood like might have had them. Yeah. But it was the same thing and and they Pay knew that. Ten dollars. They, they would yeah, it was like ten dollars for a little crappy thin magazine. Stapled like, together yeah. and they and they would update it every three months. Right. right. Exactly. I told, yes, yes, yes. Oh gosh. So anyway, uh uh I did I, I would comb through that magazine. I saw TV commercial workshops. I, I, I was told that TV commercials might be the easiest way in to the the Screen Actors Guild and all that. Uh and um, so I, I started looking for TV commercial workshops because my theater minor in college didn't really go into on-camera much back then. So uh, I needed some on-camera experience, and I, needed, and I wanted a, a, a TV commercial workshop that would then end up with a showcase for, TV, for agents. So I was looking for a class that would do that for me. And I audited. Um, I found, found classes, and I would call them and say, do you allow an audit for free? So I went to five classes that said, yes, come for one time free. And I, uh, I fell in love with this one instructor uh, uh, named Philip Carr, and he was just, I liked his style and his way. He was like a good, good-humored, uh, pudgy little man. And um, so I went back to his class and started paying for it. My second time back there, um, uh, I, he said to me after, my, after class, do you have a, an agent yet? And I said, oh, no, I'm not really, not really sure what an agent is. Um, so he said, well, he, here's my card. I want you to call me at the office. And it was Philip Carr president of the West Coast Division of Wilhelmina, which is a huge modeling agency right, yeah. in New York. They have a big, huge commercial department. So um, the, LA, the LA office, they had the, their TV commercial department was in the top 10 in the city. So I just fell into his hands and he liked what he saw in class and, and they took me on. Well, that, that's the easiest I've ever heard. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, and you were just auditing the class for free. That's the best <laughs> part of it. Now, did you start getting a lot of auditions once you got in with them? Yeah, well, um, not now. I wasn't a union member, uh, so so I, uh, my opportunities were not I, about once a week. About once a week, I was auditioning for a commercial uh, that went on for about six months. I was getting callbacks, not booking, and I finally booked my first commercial for Southwest Airlines as a dancing mummy. Yes, all remember all physical. He sent me out on everything that involved physical tomfoolery, pratfalls, costume work, movement, clowning. Well, you know anything that, that involved like something wanka 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 visual, right? And uh, and the contorting thing too. Uh, so. So once I booked the Southwest spot, that that gave me my Taft Harley. Oh, so you got and, Taft? And okay, because they don't do that. I don't think they do that anymore, really. Oh, there you am. I heard it's like now. It's, I mean, it's just different. You well, know, well like, the, the, once they joined with after, I don't know what the rules are now. Know. Yeah, I don't know a clue. So you got the, you got into SAG. So I got into SAG, I, I get SAG eligible, and I booked my next my next SAG job about a month later. Uh, so then I started booking and going out on more auditions because more casting people would, would take a chance on me being union now. For commercial or for also TV? For commercials. I, I was still doing. I, I've done a, to date now. I've done over a hundred commercials. So what uh, were some of your uh, bigger ones? We'll remember. Oh, well, well, the biggest one was my fourth booking I ever got was for a McDonald's campaign called Mac Tonight. I was the Mac, the, the Crescent Moon had the that was sa you? sang at a piano. That was me. That, that, I didn't know that. That's one, one of my everyone, gigs. I mean, everyone remembers that. It well, was like, it, I think <laughs> it was so different. I mean, it was one of those things because, I mean, I just turned 50. So, and, and how old are you? You're... 25. So we grew up with a generation. It was McDonald, uh, Ronald McDonald and Grimace and, and the Hamburglar, you know. Right, and right, then right, right. all of a sudden they sort of shift gears and it's Mac Tonight. And you're like, well, but it was. Yeah. It was, but well, the, the Mac Tonight campaign, and by the way, I'm 54, so I got you beat there, mister. Uh, 
uh, but the Mac Tonight campaign uh, was was devised just for the West Coast. It was a local local agency that handled their regional advertising. Came up with this character on their own to up their their after four p.m. business because breakfast and lunch was always taken care. McDonald's is huge for that, but they were trying to get a nighttime crowd in, so they wanted to create a nighttime cool cat character that would appeal to adults. So that's where this crescent moon came from, and uh, it, it apparently it worked. Their sales figures did jump up. And uh, so the, the, the national office in Chicago got wind of this, of course, and wanted to take the, the character and the campaign nationwide. So that was a huge deal for me to go from a regional uh, commercial campaign oh, to, yeah. to a national one. And then that was such a gangbuster success that it went worldwide. So we were playing in countries wherever there were McDonald's, that commercial was playing. So um, that lasted for three years for me, uh, and I did 27 commercials in that time. So that was a pretty good gig for an early oh, actor. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, was the suit heavy? No. Uh, it was wearing clothing. I wore like a you know a very wide-shouldered, like uh, short-waisted, um, uh, shiny nightclub singer suit is what I was wearing. And then the head that the head had some weight. It was about ten pounds. Had motors in it, and because the, the the face on the on the crescent moon was puppeteered, it, the mouth moved, and it had some facial muscles in it, and uh, so you would hear servos going, <laughs> and then somebody was pulling a cable to make the uh, to make the mouth open up, um, and and uh, so <clears throat> it took a village to make him happen for sure. What's cool about that is because you know you, you made that commercial money, but people yeah. weren't run chasing you down the street because I mean some a character right. like that if they saw your face, it's like you know there's certainly like when. Uh, Vern, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, J- James Troyer, Varney. Uh-huh. No, James Varney was James Varney, right. you know, yeah, yeah. Like everyone knew that character, so people would bother him when he's out. This, like, if 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 it right. was actually your face and it right. was the huge hit, kids would be like just coming up to you, and you know, you know, it's crazy. Right, right. This is, I, that's when I learned early that yes, you, um, everybody knew Mac Tonight back then in, in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, and uh, but I could, I could, you know, I could go into a McDonald's myself and and have to, you know pay for my my order you know what i'm saying <laughs> so you do that commercial and it's a big hit so mm-hmm. now they probably also probably gave you some more freedom to take you know mm-hmm. to audition or whatever you could probably take exactly. if someone said here's a gig and it didn't pay the best you could probably say well, okay i can do it because it's a great gig because mm-hmm. you have the financial thing right now were you still auditioning for a lot of commercials at that time or when did you parlay into getting out of the commercials uh, yeah, no, I was still auditioning for commercials, and, and I, I did commercials for um, from like 80, 86 into, oh gosh, I mean, I, I still have a commercial agent now, so if the right one comes along, I'll still do one, um, <clears throat> but uh, so I, I've never stopped them, really. What were some of the other big ones? Oh, golly. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've done for everybody, honestly. Uh, uh, Kodak. Uh, uh, I think uh, I remember the Midas one, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, a long time ago. Um I, I did uh, Toyota recently. Um, I uh, uh, not not Scary Farm was one of the most recent ones. Um, and uh, oh god, so you've had you've done, I've done, I've done Nissan, like, Volvo. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, the car the car ones run to death, which is great. Yeah, so yeah, just it, it, the the products go on and on. So you're going into commercials, and now are you getting tired of auditioning for commercials? <clears> and you want to do different stuff? Or are you yeah. like, I want to I want to branch out? I'm not tired of doing commercials, but I got tired of auditioning for them. Yes, because okay. you would do that maybe three, four times a week, and and I live in Santa Clarita, and you're driving all the way to Santa Monica, and you you know and. To, you, you know, you spend half a day getting to and from an audition that takes 30 seconds. You're on camera going, well, 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 thank right. you, next. So that, that's, that's demoralizing after a while, you know, especially when you, you, as much rejection as we face, you know, you, you don't book every one of them. Right. Uh, and I, I had about a one in 10 booking rate, which is, which is pretty good. Uh, usually you think about one in 30, but 
So uh, my odds are my odds are always good because I'm specific. You know, if they're looking for a tall, skinny, goofy sidekick, you know, the the waiting room is has less people in it than right. the, than the square jawed, good looking types. So um, yeah. So that's when. When did you start getting TV work? So the TV, yeah, so movie work, right? Well, then, then I started. Um, you know, then I I, uh, I sought agents for that would handle me theatrically for TV and film. And um, I got with a place called Coast to Coast, and um, I remember, I remember, I remember that name because I mean I dabbled in acting, but I moved them. Mm-hmm. I remember you would sit there and send the query letter. It wasn't now you could send yeah. it on the internet. Yeah. And yes. I remember Coast to Coast. I, yeah. I just remember that name. They, they were they had just started their uh, their LA office. They were already in New York, hence the name Coast to Coast. And uh, and I, the head agent there, I, oh, I forget his name now. It was so long ago. But I was the first client that booked a, a job. So I. Um, off of my first audition uh, with them. So I got with Coast to Coast. They sent me out on an audition for a movie. I booked it, and it was a horror film called Night Angel. Night Angel played in theaters for one week, and um, it went to VHS, and it played on the TV, like syndicated television a lot. So um, I played a goofy sidekick in that. Um, you know, I, I was kind of in heaven. It was, it was my first, like, feature film. Right. And, uh, yeah, but, but I learned I learned early on that, like, booking a feature film does not, not mean you'll be famous. I thought it did. I thought that's what it meant. But it, apparently it means that you, you work, you get paid, and they may or may not, it may or may not hit that movie. So I did a lot of non-hits, <laughs> apparently. And, uh, yeah, but, but then I started auditioning for, uh, you know, for t- guest starring on TV sitcoms and that kind of thing as well. And so I, I would book here and there, yeah. I did um, old, old shows like, uh, oh, uh, 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 oh, I mean, I'm, all my names are gone now. I'm because I'm on the spot here, right? It's all right. We'll we'll, we'll scroll down on your. Uh, we'll scroll down. <laughs> oh yeah, you, if you got the internet right there, you can. I got I got, I got it right here because I'm mm. seeing uh, Party of Five, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Um, the Outer Limits, yes. The Weird Al Show, Weird Al Show. I did five episodes of that as a uh, contortionist. As a contortionist, yes. That was a, he has Saturday morning show on on uh, uh, CBS, and um, and we. Uh, yeah, he, it was a it was a silly silly kids show, and um, so there was a segment that he had was an, an exercise program. He would be flipping channels every episode and would come past you know uh, an exercise show that he was the exercise instructor with a blonde wig, and we I was one of his sidekick guys that, we, that would and he we would do you know okay everybody at home try this and we would end up in some weird position rolling around on the floor and and that nobody could ever do. So therein lied the funny. Well, I, I'm wondering because as I, I look at your resume, it, it, I jump around when I look at resumes. Uh-huh. But when did you start? It seems like you parlayed into the uh, to the uh, horror, and I mean your first yeah. movie. But when did when did that come apart and come about? And uh, and you seem like you've worn a lot of prosthetics in yeah, your yeah. career, right? And I'm thinking, I mean, I'll see. Well, I just saw Mystery Man. You were pencil head, which is because mm-hmm. because you're tall and you have reddish hair. Is that what it was? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, now yeah. was that Mystery Man? Was that with Ben Stiller and all those guys? It was okay. exactly. So now, what was it like working with them? That must oh, that was cool. great. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, movies like that are great when they, when they when you're doing a comedy, especially because the, the attitude's light and fun, and you're working with a whole, whole bunch of big stars like that. It was uh, it was Ben Stiller and. Uh, 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 again, Janine Garofalo, uh, Greg Kinnear, right? Uh, just a, a cavalcade of them. No, Paul Rubin was in it. Uh, so, um, and I, I just did a cameo in that. And the reason I got that job, Pencilhead, uh, I didn't really have to audition for it because the director of it was Kinka Usher. Kinka Usher had already had me in four commercials. He was a commercial director. And I'd done four commercials for him, so he knew of me and of my skill set. And he said, oh, let's get dug in for that. That was, oh, that was great fun. 
Now, how did the Hellboy come about? Because that's that's a huge. I mean, that's like as I, I've had people who've been in you know guests who, who were like on Star Trek or Stargate or in mm-hmm. horror things, and mm-hmm. and I want to talk about the people you must encounter because right. that's such a huge following. I mean, it's like when you go, you probably do the conventions. I do indeed. And now, yeah, I've just heard it's nuts. I mean, I just it's because <laughs> these people know everything and they're such yeah. devout fans. And yeah, it's they so great. And they're they're a small. It's not like it's everyone follows it. It's a it's a smaller group, mm-hmm. but they will buy everything Hellboy and stuff. Mm-hmm like that mm-hmm. now did you ever i mean how did that come about were you doing different horror movies before that and or different were you doing prosthetic stuff before that i was doing prosthetic stuff, yeah well because of because of you know what started it was the mac tonight campaign going back to the late 80s early 90s um that tv commercial campaign you know wearing something over my face and being very physical with it gave me a reputation pretty early on with the creature effects makeup people so the creature effects team that put that Moonhead together, but you know that did the molding and did the sculpting on it, and did did the uh, latex foam rubber fabricating and all that, um, and they brought in puppeteers and people to help on set. Um, that start that got introduced me to the community of creature effects makeup people. Um, once and we did that commercial again. That campaign lasted for three years, twenty-seven commercials. So we we would borrow people from other people's shops, like Stan Winston Studios and Rick Baker's and and uh, Greg Canham's. Like these are all Oscar-winning makeup artists that have their own shops. We would borrow people from those shops to work on the TV commercial campaign one spot at a time through those three years, and then they would go back to that shop to go back to work the next day, and they might see a. Uh, a, a concept art or something of, of a creature that they were going to be working on in an upcoming movie. It might be tall and skinny. They might think, oh, I just worked with this guy. Okay. Right? And so I would get a call, like the referral calls started. And um, so it was one referral after another. And it was not just being tall and skinny. That, that I'm told by the creature effects people that being tall and, and small boned like I am, um, you, uh, it's a great palette to build on. They can build with prosthetics and I don't get too bulky. And I actually look like I could could have been born this way <laughs> in in whatever makeups I'm in, and that was a big plus for me. And then also having having the physicality to make them come to life and being an actor, you have to be an actor first. And it's not just a physical gig; it is you have to find the heart and soul of the character and and live and breathe, uh, you know, and feel what he's feeling and everything an actor's supposed to do with a role. I I have to do that with the creatures that I play, and um, and above and beyond that, though, what the creature affects people is being uh, nice and easy to work with. Okay. Right. So um, if you don't complain, like most actors do, like, this is hot. It's, does it have to be that heavy? It's This thing's poking into my... Hey! Uh, that, that's what they get from most actors. And when I, I when I didn't do that, I was like, wow, you're so nice. Right. And I was just being an average guy at work, I thought. But uh, but apparently, I, I didn't fit the mold of, of the usual actor, so that made me stand out. So... Um, so the referral started, which was, I, I owe the creature effects makeup people just an awful lot over the years. What was your first uh, role, bigger role, as a creature? Yeah. Um, oh, golly. Um, hey, it sounds so awful. What was your role as a creature? <laughs> it's like, it sounds so like yeah. demeaning uh, My- as a creature. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, the monster roles uh, started early. Um, no, golly. I, as far as big ones, though, I was kind of I was I've been under the celebrity radar for so long. I, I had been until it got to be about two thousand the year two thousand ish. Um, uh, let's see, in nineteen ninety nine, I, I did uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, the Hush episode, which is that was the lead gentleman in that. Um, and and the the Whedon fans are crazy about that show. Ah, uh, before that though, um, oh Hocus Pocus in nineteen ninety three. Um, it came out in theaters. I was Billy Butcherson, the dead zombie guy that Bette Midler, uh, I was her boyfriend from 300 years prior. She woke, woke me up out of the grave in modern day to go on her 
you know, mission of evil for her, and I ended up being a good guy and not doing that. So, uh, so Hocus Pocus was a big Disney movie, and um, that would probably be the the, the first creature role of note. Uh, I've been working consistently ever, uh, all the way up until then. And uh, that introduced me to Tony Gardner, the makeup effects uh, guy at Alterian Studios that then referred me for many, many jobs after that. Um, but it was uh, 1997 was the time when uh, um, you were asking about Hellboy and, and that. Um, Hellboy director Guillermo del Toro, his first American feature film with a big budget and a big studio attached was um, Mimic. And I got a phone call one afternoon uh, from the creature effects team putting mimic together the the bug the bug guys saying hey are you available for a night shoot tonight and i'm like oh yeah they were doing reshoots for mimic they shot it up in canada but the the guy who played the bugs up in canada couldn't work here in the states he was because he's canadian okay so they were doing reshoots here and like hey what um who do we know what tall skinny guy do we know that will fit this suit and so that's when you know the rolodex comes out with my name in it so i got a phone call and uh, yes i was so i i did a night shoot that night I ended up working three days on Mimic, and on my second day is when the director sat across the table from me at lunchtime. It was Guillermo del Toro. And he says, so tell me everything you've been in before. He d and I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe he's asking. Uh, well, so I listed off my resume, and like, you know, here's some creatures I've played, and here's, oh, what makeup artist did that? And I would tell him who it was, and he'd say, oh, that's, I like his work. Is he a nice guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we really connected on this monster, creepy, crawly thing. And uh, before lunch was over, he said, do you have a card? So I gave him my business card, which was a drawing of myself with my phone number coming out of my mouth. He goes, oh, that's great. And he put it in his wallet. And then I didn't hear from him. And then I went on. That was it. And that was 1997. And then for the next five years, I worked more. I did, I did the Buffy episode then. And then I, I did a, a movie called Monkey Bone with Brendan Fraser. I did uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle with uh, Jason Alexander and Rene Russo and Robert De Niro. And, uh, and, um, and also Mystery Men was in there, too, in that, in that time period. And then uh, 2002 rolls around, and I get another phone call from a creature effects guy named Steve Wang. Um, and Steve Wang was a designer who had, con had done the conceptual art for... Uh, the Abe Sapien character for the first Hellboy movie. He's calling me up to say, hey, we got this role in this movie, uh, and the director says he knows you, so do you want to come in and meet with us? Well, what had happened earlier that day was uh, the sculptor, Jose Fernandez, had done a maquette, which is a, a scaled-down version of what a character is supposed to look okay. like, so they can get a 3D image of it, and like, oh, yeah. And they, had, they were going to unveil that, that uh, maquette, statue for the director Guillermo del Toro to come in and approve that day well a legend has it Guillermo del Toro walked into the room fell to his knees and said oh I am so fat which I think meant what a beautiful thin creature uh, so so then then uh, Mike Elizalde who who headed up the spectral motion shop the the creature shop that this was at this the sculptor Jose Fernandez and the designer uh, Steve Wang all three of them were standing there, and they all three said, you know who should play this role is Doug Jones. And Guillermo del Toro said, Doug Jones, wait, I know Doug Jones. And he pulled my card out of his wallet five years after wow. I gave it to him. That's a great story, right? Oh, that's a great story. Yeah, so that's how Hellboy happened for me, and that, that really cemented our relationship as actor, director, and, and, um, and, and we, we understand each other. And we have a, a, a nice shorthand on set, but not much has to be said. Now, what else have you worked with him on? Uh, I've done five movies with him now. Okay. Hellboy uh, was number two. Uh, Mimic Hellboy. Then I he then I, then he came to me for Pan's Labyrinth. When he wrote Pan's Labyrinth, uh, he wrote the Fawn character with me in mind, and also the Pale Man character, the guy with the eyeballs in his hands. Um, uh, so 
that was an artistic wonder. And that was the movie that, that made me go from the press and, 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 and man producers and studio people not knowing what to categorize me as. Cause all these, all these years have been like, Oh, that's Doug. He, uh, stunt no he's right. not a stunt man he's a mime guy movement specialist so all those titles went away with Pan's Labyrinth and I was called an actor now well, that's when the press were because it was a throwback to the old, the golden era where Boris Karloff Lon Chaney could play monsters and be a movie star it was okay to let them be a movie star back then so uh, we lost some of that in, in the showbiz and then so Pan's Labyrinth was a, a movie with that had artistic credit and, and it wasn't just a horror film it was a you know an, an, a six six-time Oscar uh, nominee so it was uh, it was a, a page turner for me it, so that is that when you, you, you had well, so we, oh, we, we, uh, that was number so that was movie was number three. three number four would have been uh, Hellboy 2 the Golden Army I, went, I came back and I reprised Abe Sapien and then I played two other characters the angel of death that he wrote just for me and then the character called the Chamberlain uh, and then I just finished uh, movie number five with him which uh, I have a couple of couple of cameo scenes, but they're, they're notable scenes in a movie called Crimson Peak. It's a haunted house story. It takes place in the Victorian era uh, in England, and, um, and it will be coming out in October of 2015, so we have another hour, another year and some to wait. Well, I was going to ask you real quick. I saw, he, doesn't he have a, a, a series coming out on TV's, FX? Well, you know, well, it, I, I guess. I think I, I just saw, because I, I was now. watching Fargo, which is a great show. Yeah, uh, right, right. And I think I saw now... Does, the are strain. You, are, you, are you going to be in that? I, I did the season finale of The Strain okay, for season cool. one. Yeah, cool. so that, I guess that would be job number six with him. He, he executive produced. He didn't direct my episode, but uh, yeah. But I'm I say my episode again. It's a guest cameo. You'll, when you meet me in the season finale of The Strain, season one, uh, that'll be airing probably sometime in September or October. Uh, you will see you'll, you'll see me for a minute, and you'll go oh. With the indication that you'll see more of me next season. Okay. Okay. So, so we were talking earlier about when you know, when Hellboy becomes big and people know you, and, and then Pan's right. Labyrinth. Yeah. Now, then you start doing these conventions. Yes. Now, how do people do? Do they contact your agent? Because it's so it's like a whole counterculture. I mean, oh. have, you, have you done Comic Con? Yeah, oh, every year. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny about Comic Con? Same thing when I said I lived in San Diego, mm. 13, 15, whatever, twenty years ago it was probably twenty, no, fifteen, sixteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I lived in the gas lamp right near where the convention center was. But mm-hmm. back then, Comic-Con was, like, tiny. Yeah. And now it's just, like, I mean, like, what, It takes millions? over the city. I mean, 150,000 people come to the city, and and it's a big celebration of all that is geekery. But but Hollywood's tapped into that one. That That's the one convention that why it's become the mother of them all. And the biggest one is because um, Hollywood has a big presence there. And uh, big, big stars come and big directors come to promote whatever they have coming out the next year. So, um, so, and it's a big press event too. I mean, you'll get all the mainstream presses down there. So, it, it, but for your some of your first conventions, like, did they approach you because of Hellboy or for because of Pan's Labyrinth or how, how was it or for both because you were a double right? You know, a double, <laughs> a double canon guy. Yeah, uh, Hellboy was the first was the first calling card for the convention circuit for me. Um, and then what really threw it over the top was was the Silver Surfer actually the Fantastic Four sequel. Uh, when you when you when you play a com- a Marvel comic character like the Silver Surfer, uh, then every convention wants you. For sure. What is that like? Because as I said, I'm not a big, I'll say it's right, I'm not a big comic book guy. Right. I was recently on a, uh, do you know Chris Mancini and Graham Elwood? They have a, a podcast called The Comedy Film Nerds. Oh, okay, yeah. And they said, see a movie. So I went to see Captain America. Yeah. I had not seen the yeah. first Captain America. Yeah, I went yeah. in. I loved it. That's I, great. it was, yeah, I don't yeah. know anything about Captain I mean, I remember basically, I didn't know who some of the characters. <laughs> And it was they were it was a great movie. Yeah. But these Marvel people were just rabid. I mean, what was that like for you? I mean, intimidating. You know, you now when they meet you, 
were you in cost? I mean, when did they know your name? I mean, how would they recognize you? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, no, I'm not in costume at the convention. No, then. I know that. But I mean, <laughs> when, you, when you're in costume in a movie, do they do they make the correlation? Like, okay, you know, they sit there and go, "That's Doug Jones who played the Silver Surfer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. When I when I do a public appearance, it's announced that that's who I am. And the the website will always have uh, you know a picture of me as me, and then characters that I've played you know, around my face, you know, or whatever. So yeah, yeah. People are, plus everyone looks you up if they, they see you coming to a convention. They see what actors are coming. They'll look you up on IMDb to figure out what what have you been in. That I, I do know. that. I, I said, you no, do that. I'll yeah. see that because I go, okay, well that'd be a good guess. I mean, yeah, I see right. that there was a there was a convention up in. Uh, the L, uh, this near the airport a few weeks ago. Yes, and it was. It was. I don't think it was a. I don't know if it was a Hollywood. I mean, it was called the, a Hollywood, the Hollywood show. I've been. I've done it. Yeah. Okay. And I was yeah. sitting there going, you know what? Because I always, I'm always looking for guests. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, you know, and that's my buddy said you should go. You know, I never went, but um, but so so did they just yeah. they do you get a lot of offers? I mean, after Silver Surfer, I mean, did everyone they say? Do. Well, I ended up I ended up getting a an, an appearance manager that that's all his his only wow. job is to is to he has a, a lot of clients like me that that he places into conventions around the country around the world. And uh, so, uh, I, like this this season, I, I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I'm doing a show called Falling Skies on the TNT network. Right, is that with Noah Wiley? That's with Noah Wiley, yes. right? It's a post-apocalyptic uh, thing. Aliens have taken over Earth, and I'm I'm a good alien who landed at uh, in season three to help them help the human faction fight back the bad aliens because I've got the technology and the know-how and all that. Um, and yeah, you're you look like a nice guy. You I'm know, gonna, you thank you. You, <laughs> you couldn't be a like if he if he was like they said he's a bad alien. I'd be like, thank you. Yeah, you wouldn't buy that. Yeah, would I you? wouldn't. I'd be well, like, yeah, and, yeah. and if he is a bad alien he's like he's you know don't trust him i mean it's right, just like, yeah. You know. yeah yeah so so um right now uh, I, i'm on hiatus right now between uh we just finished season four and the season four starts airing actually on tnt uh sunday nights starting june 22nd uh at 10 p.m so uh anyway so we're uh i'm now on uh, between season four and five shooting right now so during the time that i'm that i'm home and not working in Vancouver my parents manager's like oh good I got you so he sent me out on like I'm going on like 11 different conventions this this uh, spring and summer so I'm, I'm kind of travel weary I've been doing an awful lot of appearances yeah and also because you shoot in Vancouver and then yeah. I mean you're, that, you're not home a lot no I'm not home a lot exactly so when I do get home then I'm on planes the entire time I'm home because I'm doing weekends out all the time now where are some of these conventions going to be well let's see okay what I have coming up left here uh, let's see um, I'm going to be I have I have a couple weeks off here. I'm very excited about that. I'm gonna I get to be home for like two weeks. I'm excited. Uh, then at the end of of uh, June is Scares That Care in Williamsburg, Virginia. First weekend of July, July Fourth weekend is Fantasy Con in Salt Lake City. Then the next weekend is Dash Con. It's a Tumblr event actually in um, Chicago area, Schaumburg, Illinois. And then, uh, then uh, the third weekend of June is um, Greenville, South Carolina for MonsterCon. And then I will be doing the big San Diego Comic Con uh, July 24th through 27th, I think. And that's my last one for the season. Yeah, yes. What's, what's the, some of the coolest uh, places in the world? Like, where are some places across the world that you've done? Been, I've done conventions in uh, oh, uh, uh, Wellington, New Zealand, uh, Melbourne and Sydney, Australia. Uh, Oh, and and uh, oh, the other one in New Zealand. Uh, there's Auckland also. Um, I've also, and then in Europe, I did um, uh, I did England and uh, oh, a fun one in Belgium too once. Uh, yeah, so you get you get some travel involved. That's so great. Do you sit there and do you autograph stuff? I mean, how does it work? And do do fans get in line? They for do. You they and do. You sit they... there and and I'm sure you get 
weird fans. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who are just, you know, yeah. anyone's going to get a fan like that. But it's like, <laughs> but I'm sure they're very appreciative. A lot of the fans must just adore you because yeah. they expect someone in a, a in a costume, and then they see you, and you're a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, kids might freak out a little bit. You're yeah, like, right, right. They don't, they don't, they don't kids, always make the connection. Kids yeah. shouldn't be going to see Hellboy. And right. That's not, you know. So. <laughs> well, the, the fun thing is that uh, uh, the fun the fun part of a convention for the fans is they get to see that creature monster or or superhero whatever. Um, as a real guy, you know, getting to see Doug Jones with his own face—that's that's the charm of a convention. They, um, if I showed up in costume to the convention, it would be like, well, they already saw that in the movie. The, the, what they really want is to make contact with the actor who played the character. So that's the fun part of it. Um, and for me, I love connecting with the people who have been watching my work all these years. If there's a line forming at my table at a convention, it's full of people who. Um, who know who I am, and they, they and because they know who I am, that means that they have been watching movies and TV shows that I've been in all these years, and that means that they helped buy my house for me. So I owe them all a hug and and photo ops and whatever else. So so I do. Um, we have table. We have eight by ten t- uh, pictures out on the table. They do have to purchase those, and I'll sign that. I'll sign DVD covers, posters, whatever, whatever they bring in, and there might be a nominal fee with that, depending on what convention it is and what contract I'm under, but um. But yeah, but I'll, I'll if you have a, a snapshot camera, I'll take a picture with you at the table, and uh, uh, it, they also do panel discussions where you'll do, um, I, you know, maybe at, at for an hour in the middle of one of those days, I'll go to an auditorium in the in the convention center, and it'll be the Doug Jones hour where I'll talk about my career for an hour, and then do a little Q and A with the audience, and so no conventions are, and then they have after parties for the VIP ticket holders, and you maybe a karaoke night or something. So it's it's a big brouhaha where you get geeks get together and celebrate geekdom and it's great well it's funny because you do all these sci-fi characters and then we mm-hmm. talked earlier your friend you know Patrick O'Sullivan yeah see there, there's a Patrick O'Sullivan I used to always give him there's your obligatory call out because we talk okay Patrick. Whenever, whenever we know whenever I know someone he'll go I know that so I, always go, I gotta give Patrick a shout out now now was it <laughs> How did the sitcom come up? Because I know you're yeah. playing an alien, but you play these scary people or you yeah. know, an alien in dramas. How did the sitcom come up? Right. Uh, well, we know Patrick O'Sullivan because he and I both were in the in the se- like the second tier cast of uh, of the Neighbors. And you played Dominique Wilkins. I and paid, he played Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas, right? Yeah. Oh God, we had so much fun on that show. Um, now I was only in season one because um, because of Falling Skies. I, uh, the season two, the Falling Skies schedule was right on top of it. They they couldn't find any free days for me because the neighbors wanted to have me back for a few episodes in season two, and I just couldn't do it because I was in Vancouver already working. Um, but uh, yeah, but no, uh, manager Bruce at, at Omnipop that represents me. He um, sent me out on a, on a typical casting call for um, when they were doing the pilot uh, uh, of the neighbors, and. Um, uh, I was just I was just hired for the neighbor's pilot as a guest star uh, to be um, uh, now the neighbors the concert for those who haven't seen the show it is a uh, it is a uh, uh, a human family has moved into a neighborhood in New Jersey not knowing that this gated community is completely full of aliens from outer space posing as humans so they needed they needed humans who are a little bit off looking uh, because we actually are are housing an alien being in, in underneath. So, so being a character goofy-looking guy was perfect for this show. Um, so, uh, so I ended up getting cast in the pilot, and they, it was really fun because they wanted I auditioned for the pilot of the neighbors to be a guest star that would that would had had a great scene and then and then left in a huff. It was an alien. It was one an, an alien husband and wife team that were that were about to um, uh, uh, getting angry and and left, and and that's they're the house that was left open. 
uh, they're, they're leaving in a huff left the vacancy that the human family moved into unknowing uh, of what they were getting into. So that couple was being cast as guest stars. I went and auditioned for that. Well, thank goodness, Dan Fogelman, the, the, the showrunner, the head producer, writer, fell in love with me and uh, in that audition. And he, he called manager Bruce and said, we would love to have Doug, but not in that role, because that means we say goodbye to him and he'll never be back on the show okay. again. So he said, we want to write something for him. Just keep him around as one of the neighbors always. So that was very sweet and a very huge compliment to me. Uh, so they ended up um, ended up doing six episodes in season one. I did the pilot and then five more episodes after that, uh, sprinkled throughout the entire season. And my favorite of all was the musical episode. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, we, music composed by Alan Menken, you know, of huge right. Disney fame, and uh, singing and dancing and... Uh, it was just I uh, so every all my childhood dreams of being on a variety show, singing and dancing in, in a half hour sitcom format. Forget about it. It was just like it was a dream come true for Dougie. And it must have been great just getting a chance to do comedy instead yep. of you're always playing a heavy character. I mean, yeah. it's something you sit there and go, wow, because I mean, your background, you were a, you were a mascot. You know? Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like yeah. that's you know that's comedy come full circle. Mascots are entertaining. It is. Right. We have a few minutes left. I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, what um what tell people what's coming up? Your IMDb you have like a ton of movies listed. Yeah, but what, what's what's coming up? Yeah. Right now, yeah, again, the, the, the main push right now for the summer is Falling Skies Season 4, starting on TNT, uh, uh, Sunday nights at 10. Uh, uh, be watching Falling Skies. Now, I, I return as, as Cochise, the happy alien uh, who's, who's here to help. Um, and then aside from that, um, video on video on demand, uh, a movie just got released June 3rd called Dust of War with Tony Todd and myself and Gary Graham and a couple of newcomers, uh, Stephen Luke and uh, Jordan McFadden. It's a, another post-apocalyptic uh, story, but it's, um, it takes place in the plains of South Dakota, and I'm like a happy uh, merry minstrel that's making making happy in this desolate world. So, so it's, a, it's a lighter role for you. Lighter role so it's for good. me. You're getting some lighter roles, and you go as back. As a person. As a person. Exactly. See, that's, that must be great, though, because, yeah. I mean, you, you probably get so used to the makeup and, and I mean just second nature but when they say okay uh, just you're gonna be you you're probably like what? Yeah. Be me? <laughs> Would you ever want to be a mime in a movie? Oh uh, you know, I've, I've been a mime on TV commercials many a time and, and the thing is mimes are always portrayed as something hateful. I mean, right. People are tripping them making fun of them or, or stubbing <laughs> their toes so they blurt out they talk for the first time. So they're always being made fun of. So it's like, it's not really attractive to want to be a mime in anything <laughs> on, on uh, TV or film right now. Now, are you on social media? I am. You can find me on, uh, oh gosh, I, I, I just, I just started on the Instagram. Okay. Like, like I, if you go to Instagram, Tumblr, um, uh, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, and you type in actor Doug Jones as a search word that they, you'll find me. All just one? Actor Doug Jones, no punctuation. And then your website is? And my website is thedougjonesexperience.com. And it's got his bio. It's got a bunch of stuff on it. Yeah, it, it, it needs some updating, but we're, uh, we're, we're hopefully. You're hopefully. so young in the picture. With, with, oh, yeah. Well, I, Oh, yeah, left. oh, that picture. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. He's so young. You, you look uh, real quick. You look like the guy who was the comic in the movie Fame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, I, Miller. I think his name was Barry Miller. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I want to I want to thank you for coming on. It was great talking to you. Uh, oh, thank and, you uh, for having me. This has I, been great. I got to get check out some of these uh, old scary movies with you. You know, yeah, right, hey, right. I always tell my girlfriend, like, oh, we know that guy, you know. Right. So thank you. And people uh, check him out. Actor Doug Jones. That's right. On Twitter, follow him. Yeah. Also, people, follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. Also, this Saturday, uh, that's June 14th, at 7 o'clock, there's a great coffee house in North Hollywood called Bob's Espresso. It's owned by uh, Robert Romanus, who's better known as Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I did a Cooper Talk Live there 
uh, about 10 days ago on a Thursday night where my guest was John Capolo, so you may know him from as a Carl, a janitor for The Breakfast Club. Well, this Saturday, I'm bringing on a Saturday. It's free admission. It's a 5251 Lancashire Boulevard in North Hollywood. And uh, you, you'll find parking. It's a little tough, but you'll find parking. And my guest is a very talented actress who's also an amazing singer-songwriter named Catherine Wilhoyt, who you may know from. She was on ER. She was in Cop Rock. She's was on Gilmore Girls. She's just an amazing, amazing musician. We're going to talk for about an hour. She's going to play probably two or three songs. She has a big show coming up next Saturday. And so come out. It's free. And it starts at 7. And... Yeah, we're going to have a Q&A after. It'll be great to meet you guys. And also, if you want to listen to past episodes, go to coopertalk.net. I have 260 episodes up on there. Also, what else is going on? Oh, uh, follow me on Twitter at coopertalk. Email me, coopertindy100.com. And if you go to face uh, to Stitcher or iTunes, type in coopertalk, one word. You can find the episodes on there. Or if you have an Android device, I have the Cooper Talk app. So go check that out. So yeah, I want to thank you all for listening. Remember, follow actor Jug Jones at Twitter. Come out this Saturday. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a great, careful, and safe weekend.